Thank you, Lord. Let me see your Bibles. How many of you got your Bibles this morning or devices, whatever you're using to get to the Bible? Let me hold them up. Hold them up. Let me see them. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You go to Psalms chapter 3 this morning. We're going to continue diving into the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 3. Psalms chapter 3, hallelujah, hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah, I don't know, uh, the title, I don't know about the title in your Bible, mine says the Lord helps his troubled people, <laughs> that's good news, we'll just, we can start right there, the Lord helps his troubled people. You know, we we live in a time where, um, you know, there's another, I don't know if you've noticed, I don't care where you stand on the pandemic and vaccines and masks, I don't care where you stand on politics, the reality is, is that the enemy is, uh, <laughs> he is that too, thank you, uh, <laughs> he is stupid, yeah, that's, yeah, he's a pawn in, in the master's hand, he doesn't even know it, but. But the, the awesome, you know, the awesome thing is, is that God's in, in control of it all. But no matter, no matter where you stand on any of that, there's another, you see it, there's this other wave of fear coming on, on the world around us. And, uh, you know, I think Psalms 3 is a great, timely message as we're jumping into this. Um, we do not, we don't look at the, situ the situation around us, we don't look at the circumstances around us, we don't live in fear Come on, I said we don't live in fear. Um, you know, uh, people, you know, asked us during the, the all of the COVID stuff, well, you know, what stopped? You know, everybody wanted to know what, what happened and what happened in the church and what happened, you know, did you did you have to stop or slow? And I said, no, it actually, you know, propelled, it accelerated things. There were things that, that were on the vision board that became reality and, and the ministry to our community amplified. Um, I, I don't, I'm still, I'm still stuck on that number of 20,000 people served in, in an eight or nine month period through the groceries and all that was happening. Amen. That's awesome. That's acceleration. We, we served, and I, I want to talk about this just for a moment and, and help you understand why we served more people in, in a grocery distribution in one night than we would serve in multiple months. Of, of night of hope not and it's it's hard to compare the two because it was totally separate things but God has a way of using the the trouble in our lives God has a way of using the trouble in our lives to perfect us and to cause us to overflow so there's a there's a question that I have for you you see, because overflow happens out of what's already on the inside of you. We last week, you know, pastors Deborah and Nancy were talking about this, is that there's overflow, but overflow happens because of what's in you. So when trouble comes, what's in you is coming out. Right? So whatever is in you when when the pressure is applied is what comes out. And so it is important to make sure before we ever get into trouble, we know what's on the inside of us. We need to have Jesus. We need to be saturated in the Holy Ghost. We need to have the Word of God 
bubbling in our belly so that when things happen, when the, when the problems come, when the issues happen, that we're overflowing, that out of our mouths, out of our life is overflow of the goodness of God. How were we able to serve? That's just very practical. How were we able to serve 20,000 people in eight or nine months? How were we able to move 30,000 pounds of groceries a week? How were we able to, listen, it's supernatural for sure. And, and there, were, there were things that were transpiring that were supernatural in that season this past year that enabled us to do what we did. But we were able to do what we did because we had Jesus and a foundation of what, of what was to come. Night of Hope was just the preparation. Night of Hope was just the, the preparation of what was to come. We, we would have never been able to step into that had we not had the preparation. A lot of the systems and the structure that enabled us to do that outreach came from what we were already doing at Night of Hope. Came from the relationships that we had through Night of Hope. So God uses what's already on the inside of us, what's already happening in those troubled times. And so we see that here in Psalms chapter 3 with David. David had some encounters in life that caused him to dive deep into who God was. He was a he was a man after God's own heart. He was passionate about worship. He was passionate about pressing in to the goodness of God. And in the in Psalms chapter 3, we find David in a very difficult season. So let's pick up in verse 1, and it says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Have you ever felt that way? That my enemies and my troublers are increasing. I turn around, and there's another one. I turn around, and there's another one. I turn around, there's another. All around me are troublers. <laughs> Many are those who rise up against me. Many are those who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Not only do they trouble you, but they mock you. They mock what you believe. They, they say God's not present. God's not able. There is no God. And this was David's response in verse 3. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. Somebody say that. You are a shield. You're a shield for me. You're the glory. You're my glory. I love that. You're my glory. You're my shield. You're my glory. And you're the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke. And this is a great verse. If you have trouble sleeping, this is a great verse for you. I lay down and slept. You need to write that. Just stick that next to your bed and read it every night you go to sleep. I lay down and slept. And speak that. That's a promise for you, for somebody today. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Even in your night hour, even as you sleep, the Lord sustains you. He keeps you. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. <laughs> Woo, Jesus. The Lord, I want to zero in today on that verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. 
Father, give us ears to hear what your word is saying today. Tune us in. Lord, help us to see you today as our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our head. In your precious name, amen. David was facing a manipulative son. Absalom, and you can read the account of this in Second uh, Samuel 15, but he was, he was facing his son Absalom, who had risen up against him. For months, Absalom had been standing outside of the, of the palace, outside of the temple, and he had been stopping people that were coming to get answers. People were coming to their leader. They were coming to David. They were coming to their king. They were coming to their, their government leaders for help. And they were coming for questions and trying to seek help. And Absalom, the son of David, would stand outside and he would stop the people and say, Oh, there's no one to help you today, but I'll help you. And he began to manipulate the hearts of the people against his father. And he would stand there and tell them, I'll help you. And they would bow down to worship him as, as, as he would solve their problems, so to speak. And he would embrace them and kiss them and tell them how much he loved them and how great they were. And he'd manipulate, he was manipulating the hearts of the people against his dad. And it didn't just stop there. It, 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 the scheme of manipulation and deception increased where Absalom was manipulating leaders around the country to rise up and call him king, call him the ruler. And David was facing this. And now he was at the point, David was at the place of having to leave the palace. He was having to leave his home out of fear that his very own son would kill him and overthrow the palace. And so he gathers his family. David gathers his family and his, his closest friends, and he begins out on a journey. And he leaves Jerusalem. He leaves the, the city to go find a place of safety. You can find this account in 2 Samuel 15. But what's interesting about this, where David ends up, and he begins to pray this prayer of Psalms chapter 3, this prayer we just read, it's interesting where David ended up and began to pray this prayer because he sets out on this journey and he comes to a place called the Mount of Olives. You might know the place as the name of the Garden of Gethsemane. He comes to that place where Jesus, overwhelmed by his betrayer, overwhelmed by the one who was working against him, takes his closest disciples into the garden and begins to weep and to cry out in prayer to his father. That's where David was. He was, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 15, is that he was going through the garden weeping with the recognition of what his son was doing. That's where David found himself. And in the middle of this trial, in the middle of the trouble, in the middle of his own family turning against him, he prays this prayer from Psalms chapter 3 and, and specifically in verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. That word shield in the Hebrew is the word for fortress. 
our God, it's more than just frontal protection. It's the word fortress that he surrounds me all about. The Bible says in Proverbs that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. No matter who rises up against you, no matter the number of enemies that come against you, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. He's my fortress on all sides. I can run into him and find safety and refuge in the Lord. I can call on his name and find safety. He's, he's just as close today. If you, if you just, no matter what you're going through, if you just call on his name, Jesus, just call, help me this morning, Jesus, if you just call on his name, he is a strong tower. His name is a refuge for you. He comes and, and he, he guards round about you. He protects you on your front. He protects you on your sides. He protects you in the rear. No matter who's rising up against you, they may come to stab you in the back and the Lord is there. They may come and attack you to your face, but the Lord is there. They may try to overtake you on your side, but the Lord is with you. He's a strong tower. He's a fortress around about you. In Psalms 27, 1, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? <clears throat> why should I be afraid? Why should I be afraid of the terror by night? Why should I be afraid at the arrows assailed against me? Why should I be afraid when my family rises against me and the manipulators are working around me? Why should I be afraid? Because the Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I trouble? Why should I tremble? He's the omnipotent one. He's the all-powerful one. Not only is he your fortress, but there's absolutely nothing. There's no assault too great that he can't handle. There's no assault. You know, there are earthly, earthly fortresses. They can only take so much. Earthly fortresses, no matter how strong they are, no matter how well defended they are, they can only handle so much assault. But the Lord, who is your fortress, can withstand any attack. He can withstand any assault. Even death itself cannot, withstand, cannot stand against the fortress of our God. Oh, death. Where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Even death itself, even death itself can't take out the fortress of our God. He's mighty to save. He's working on your defense today. It's good to know that the Lord is my defender. The Lord is working on my defense. The all-powerful one. Tell somebody next to you, he's all-powerful. That's I love that. He's the omnipotent one. I love those good Bible words. He's the omnipotent one. He's the all-powerful one. In Daniel, it says, he does, he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? Nobody can stop the hand of the Lord. When he sets his hand in motion, no one can stop the plan or the purpose of God for your life. The fortress of the Lord holds strong in your defense today. 
Isaiah says, even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. He's got you secure in his hand. He's holding you today. He's holding your life. He's holding the details. Every aspect of your life is in his hand. Jesus prayed, none can snatch you out of the hand of the Father. My God, that's good to know that I have a defense. I have a shelter today, no matter what I face. Oh, yeah. Daniel knew about this defender. Daniel, when he found himself in the lion's den, when, when the enemy was rising up against him, the Lord lifted up a standard against him. There was absolutely nothing that the Lord couldn't do to protect, even in the lion's den. Even in the fiery furnace, the fourth man in the furnace. Yeah, he didn't send an angel. God showed up himself. The fourth man, no matter what furnace you're facing today, the Lord is your defender. Jesus in the middle of the boat with his disciples, the storm tossed boat. They thought they were sinking. They thought they were going down, but their fortress was on the boat with them. My God, if you put your hope in a boat, you're sinking. But when the fortress is on board, he takes care of it. The Lord is a shield for me. He's my glory. When, When the glory of this earth is tainted and tarnished, when the glory of this world is taken from you, the Lord says, I will be your glory. In Zechariah 2.5, it says, And I will be to her a wall of fire, a wall of protection. He's my shield. He's going to be my wall of fire around me and the glory in my midst. The Lord is the glory in my midst. When he said to Moses, I think about, I think about Moses at, uh, up on the, on the mountain and the, and the bushes is burning with fire. He's the glory in the bush. He's the glory in the fire. And the bush wasn't consumed, but the glory of the Lord was in that place. Moses saw the glory of the Lord, this stuttering man who had been raised by foreigners, who should have been, uh, who, who never would have been on anyone's radar as a, as a great leader or deliverer of, of the Israelites. But here's this man who God chose, who God handpicked and revealed his glory to. In the middle of your trouble, in the middle of your trial, there's always a burning bush where God's going to show up with his glory. I want to challenge you, don't get your eyes on those who are rising up against you. Set your eyes on the glory of the Lord. Begin to look for his glory on the mountain of tribulation, in the valley of the shadow of death. Look for his glory. He's going to show up in an unprecedented, unexpected way. He'll be there working on your behalf. It's in, that more, it's, in that, it's in that place where his glory shows up that he reveals that he's the great I am to you. He's the I am. He's the I am that delivers. He's the I am that saves. He's the I am that shows up in your mess. The I am is present. His glory. Yeah, it's in that place of intimacy with him. I, I what, what, mm. You see, sometimes in, in trouble, i got to say this, Some, sometimes in trouble we recognize that we don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. 
It's in, it's in those tests and in those trials we recognize, who, who am I? We start asking questions like, who am I? What is my purpose? Why am I really here? Things in our life that, that aren't solid, aren't stable, start getting questioned in those seasons of trouble. But it's in those moments where Moses, you stuttering fool who nobody thought you could ever be anything. Come on now, somebody. It's in that moment where you feel like you're a nobody that God shows up and says, I'm a somebody and I'm going to do something in your life. I'm going to do something that's going to set the mouths talking. Through generations, through generations, your life is not an accident, it's on purpose. And God's saying, I am, I am working in your life. I am doing a miracle in your life. I am has a purpose for your life. It's in those moments where I am shows up that you recognize who you are. You're no longer defined by the foreigners who raised you. You're no longer identified by what was or your past. You're no longer identified by the fact that you can't talk and you have insecurities in your life. You're now identified, I am, has stamped his name on your life. I am. It's in his glory that you recognize those things. Moses saw the glory on that mountain. He saw the glory on Mount Sinai when he went up and he saw the, the finger of God begin to write the, can you imagine? I mean, we've, we've been in his presence, we've seen, but I've, I've never seen the hand of God actually come down and write into a mountainside, write into stone. And he saw the glory of the Lord come down on that mountain and write the Ten Commandments. He saw his glory. He came down off of that mountain and his face was shining. I guess so. <laughs> he met with God, the Bible says, face to face. I, I would imagine that if you're meeting with God face to face, there's going to be something happening. Something's going to change, right? Something's going to change in your life if you're meeting with the glory. Did you hear me? Yeah, when you're meeting with the glory, things are going to change in your life. No longer about the stubborn Jews at the bottom of the mountain. No, it's not, they're, they're in revelry and in sin and the, complaining and griping. But everything changes when you get in the glory. Everything changes. God deals, by the way, with the revelry. Moses didn't have to deal with that. God dealt with that. So if you're worried about your enemies, hang on a second. Just stay in the glory. Hang on a second. Don't get don't don't come down out of the glory. Just you wait till the Lord says, I hear a sound. Because when the Lord says I hear a sound, he's about ready to deal with it. <laughs> when he heard the sound of the cries of his people in Egypt, he came down and dealt with it. When he heard the sound of revelry and sin on the mountain, he came down and dealt with it. So just just stay in his glory. He's got it handled. Thou preach. Some of you have percolate on that for a while. We want to come out of, we want to come down and try to fix it. God said, I got it. Set a line, Moses. And which side are you on? Are you, are you on the Lord's side today or are you on, you, need, you want to go back to Egypt's side? Which side do you want to be on? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the side I want to be on. That's, and Moses drew the line. That's all he had to do. God God swallowed up all the enemies. 
in a moment, he took care of the enemy. So stay in his glory. He came down, Mount Moses came down off that mountain, and his face was shining. And I said, put a veil on it, Moses. Put, cover up your face, it's shining. You need to moisturize your face, it's shining. You need to do something about that. Comes down, they put a veil. Their hearts were hardened. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that their heart was hardened to the reality of who Christ was, what God was doing in that moment. But verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3 says this, but we all, say y'all, all y'all, okay, I see y'all, all y'all, with unveiled face, you, me, with unveiled face, are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Lord, we're beholding His glory. We're in His glory. When you're in His glory, you're being changed. When you behold, what you behold is what you become. You behold His glory, you become like Him. If all you want to do is look at the troublers who are all around you, but when I behold His glory, I'm changed from one image, from one place, from one, one place, one degree, one experience to the next. It becomes one, one moment to the next moment in His glory. There are moments you won't forget. Living there, experience Him. I, I, I mean, there's, I can think of times and times and times where His glory has shown up. And they, they mark your life. They mark those moments are, are marked living there, being in that place of constantly seeking after His glory. Exchanges the value of your earthly glory, your earthly experience, things that you find delight in, things that you find success in in this life, things that you find satisfaction in in this life, and they may not be bad things, but things that you, you find valuable in this life. All of a sudden, those things and the glory of those things don't compare to the glory of Him, the I Am. The more that you stay with I Am, the more that you live in I Am, all of the accomplishments and the checklist and the things that you do, they might be great. We're, we're good at singing our story and telling about how great we are. But, but when you get in His glory, it doesn't matter anymore. Moses learned who he was, and all of a sudden it didn't matter. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? The man who had all the questions about his identity and all, had all the issues stirring on the inside of him. His, his mother, I mean, what a story. I mean, if you bring that into modern, I mean, his, his mother put him down the Mississippi River <laughs> because the president wanted to kill him because with abortion. Come on now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not meddling and I'm just preaching this morning. Put him down the river because they were out to kill him. And he gets picked up by the president's wife. 
and raised in the White House. And it doesn't get any better that his mom applies for the nanny position at the White House. And she raises him as his own, and he has no idea that that's actually his mama. I mean, what a story. He's got a stuttering problem, can't talk. And then he finds out that he's actually Hebrew. He's not, he's not actually a Gentile, he's Jewish. And he's everything that he's been a part of, watching the government abuse and murder people, murder his family, put them into slavery, everything he's watched, everything he's observed, he now realized that's my family. Traumatic. Talking about a life, and in that moment, He sees God for I am in his glory. And he recognizes who he is, who he was created to be, the purpose of God in his life. And all of a sudden, all that past and all that stuff doesn't matter anymore because he saw the I am. He saw the author and the finisher of his faith. He saw the one that orchestrated it all from the very beginning. You know, our tendency in, in troubled times like that is to ask, well, what, why God? Why did, you, why did you send me down the river? Right? Why did, why did you send me down the river? Why did not, not somebody else? I, I'm, I'm getting off my notes slightly, but I, I feel like this is for somebody. Why, God, did you send me down the river? And God's saying, because I spared you. I wrote you, I wrote a story before the foundations of the world. And your name's in it. And I'm raising you up as the deliverer for my people. I, I, I want to tell somebody today, your story is a miracle for somebody. I want to tell somebody, your story is a miracle. You, you might be a nobody and have your issues. Come on now. But your story in the I am, when I am is writing your story, it's a miracle for somebody. There's somebody that you're a miracle for. So, so stop saying. Somebody needs to hear this. So uh, just hang with me. This is good old pastor Zach. This pastor, good pastor. Stop saying, I'm not able. Stop saying, I'm not able. Stop saying, I can't do that. Who told you you can't do it? Who told you you can't do that? Come on now, I'm going to come down here. Some of y'all are trying to ignore me. Who told you you can't? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am guaranteed everything that I set my hand to shall prosper. That is my guarantee. That's my inheritance. So stop saying what you can't do. You're speaking against the very thing that Jesus paid for with his blood. I, I have an agreement with the Heavenly Father. And he said, my covenant I will not break. And his covenant with me is that everything I set my hand to shall prosper. Yes. 
it may not prosper the way I want it to. It may not go the way that I want it to, but it's going to prosper. <laughs> I'm thinking of some examples. I got to move on. <laughs> he's my glory. And thirdly, he's the lifter of my head. When your head hangs in sorrow and sadness, the Lord comes and he lifts it. When you don't have anyone else to lift your countenance, the Lord will lift it. When you feel alone and sorrowful, the Lord steps in and he knows every tear that you cry. He knows the sorrow of your heart and he lifts your countenance. My God, that's good. <laughs> Woo. When nobody else knows what you're going through and no one else understands the hurt that you're feeling. David, your sons turned against you and manipulated the kingdom out of your hand. It's okay. The Lord knows. And not only does the Lord know, he so ordains your steps that he's put you in a prophetic place. Oh, my God. Not only does he know, but he's ordained your steps as you're walking through the valley into the Mount of Olives. Walking through the Garden of Gethsemane. He's put your Feet in the middle of your trouble, he's put you in a prophetic place. The son of David. David was walking through the garden, weeping as he went, dealing with his betrayal of his son. Jesus, the son of David, would soon walk through that same Gethsemane, weeping as he went. Over the betrayal from a son. Someone who was close to him. The manipulation and the betrayal and the deceit. It was a prophetic place of things to come. Sometimes in the middle of your trouble. The Lord, the lifter of your head. Will put you right in the middle of a prophetic. Even, even the location of where you find yourself. Even down to the very detail of the location where you're at, the Lord orchestrates it. <clears throat> I'm talking to somebody today. Maybe you find yourself in a job situation or in a family situation and you say to yourself, Lord, I would have never picked this for myself. I never would have chosen this path. I, I don't know how I ended up here. Does anybody hear me this morning? And I don't know how I ended up in this place. Oh, God knows how you ended up there. He's ordered your steps to be where you're at. He's set your feet on a path that, so you'd end up in a prophetic place. So you'd get to the place where you're at today and say, I think the Lord is doing something on my behalf. So that the generations who are to come can look back at the prayers played prayed in the place where you're at and say, if the Lord did it for David, the Lord's going to do it again for me. <clears throat> if God showed up for David, if God was the lifter of his head, then Jesus, who's at that garden crying out with blood dropping from his head, my father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He's the lifter of my head in the middle of the hard place. 
He's the lifter of my head when nobody else understands. When all of my followers are falling asleep in the garden, can't even stay awake to pray. The Lord is the lifter of my head. He's ordering the steps of your life today. In Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us that we don't have a high priest who's unfamiliar, he's unable to empathize. But we have a high priest who understands. We have a high priest who is able to empathize with our weakness, with our struggles, with our temptations. Because he was tempted in every way that you and I are. He understands the griefs and the sorrows. He understands the weight and the chastisement of his peace was upon him. The chastisement for your peace was upon him. He's familiar. Isaiah 53. I love that. Isaiah 53. Let me read it. Surely. Everybody say surely. He has borne your griefs. Surely he has carried your sorrows. Verse 3 says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with your grief. Verse 5, he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. And the chastisement for your peace was upon him. And by his stripes, you're healed. He's the lifter of your head. He paid for your peace. He paid for your shalom. He paid so that nothing missing, nothing broken, everything in your life would be in order. So let me, let me ask you. So, so if he paid, if the, if, if the chastisement, the penalty, the payment for your nothing missing, nothing broken, everything in order was paid for at the cross, what are you doing living in disorder, disarray, worry, anxiety, fear, anger? Come on now, don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. So he paid for something, that means you can have it. It's free to you. Cost him everything, but it's free to you. You can have it. We have to determine to walk in it. The world wants you to live in, in trouble. The troublers want you to live in trouble. The mockers want you to live in trouble. Society wants you to live in trouble. My goodness, just turn, you know, don't turn on the news. But if you did, they want everybody around you wants you to be troubled. Troubled about the economy. Troubled about the pandemic. Troubled about the government. Troubled about politics. Troubled about race. Troubled about trouble, 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 trouble. Turn it off and turn into the word and begin to walk in the shalom that Christ paid for. My goodness. I think somebody just said it, uh, and I've heard it before. You'll find it in Joel chapter 2. He'll give you double for your trouble. You can find it. Joel chapter 2. All of the years that the locust has taken, all of the, all of the, all of the things that the pandemic has taken. Come on now, somebody. All of the things that the world tries to steal, all the trouble. He'll give you double. He'll repay you. That's what it says. That's what it says. 
I think somebody needs to claim that over their finances. My goodness, I, I just, you need to claim that. You, you <laughs> I'm preaching to somebody this morning. I don't know who you are. You, you've been looking for that government check saying, oh, I need that government money. Uh-uh. What you need is double for your trouble, Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you how that works. Now, he may use the government, but let, let, me, let me tell you how that works. It's called tithing. <laughs> let me tell you how that works. If you get your seed in the ground, he takes what's just a natural, natural result, just simple increase, and he multiplies it. He multiplies you just, it's just a dollar, and all of a sudden it becomes ten. He mul- How's that happen? He multiplies it. And you know, he gives us such a great example in creation. When you sow a seed, you don't just get one apple. Come on now. When you sow a seed, you don't just get an apple. You get an apple tree. Glad nobody said bush. You get an apple tree, and on that apple tree are apples. And inside those apples are multiplication. God's math. It's, it works in creation, and it works in spiritual economics. You sow a seed, and he multiplies it. Every, and, and listen, that's not just money. That's, that's everything. Everything you do. Ah, man, if you could get this. If I could open up your brain and somehow just stick this revelation in there, it would change how you live. When, when, when someone gets up and says it's time to give, you wouldn't say, oh my. You would say, oh joy. <laughs> I get to get another seed in the ground. When someone says, I need something, you're like, I bet I have that at my house. Let me find it. And you give it away. And all of a sudden, God multiplies it. It's a joy. It's a delight. It's, you know, the Bible says more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's fun to give. You know why it's fun to give? Because you keep receiving. And you're able to give more. You know, people try to make this so spiritual. Oh, you sound so unholy when you say you like to receive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You sound so unholy because you like to get things. I don't know anybody who doesn't like to get. I like to get oxygen. I wake up in the morning and I go... Thank you, Jesus, for oxygen. Everything I do is about receiving something. And I... And I go... And when I go... Carbon dioxide comes out. And the trees say... Thank you for giving me carbon dioxide. And they wave at me. And they clap their hands. That's what the Bible says in Isaiah. The trees of the fields clap their hands. They're clapping their hands at me saying, thank you. Thank you. That was a great display of oxygen. Thank you. Thank you for breathing today. And they go, and they breathe out. And I have oxygen. And it's just like, everything I do is about receiving. So don't tell me I'm so unholy for liking to receive. I like to receive because I like to give. 
I like to receive because it enables me to give more. So get your seed in the ground. It's joy. It's peace. It's love. <laughs> it's all you just you, so. Let me love on you. Give somebody a hug. And I'm gonna say they. I feel pretty good because you gave me a hug, and they go give somebody else a hug. He's the lifter of my head. <laughs> I don't know how I got on that. <laughs> You're going to go home and you're going to be looking for those trees, waving and clapping their hands at you. <laughs> I want to, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Mary was carrying around a lot of shame and disgrace. And she said this, the Lord takes away my disgrace. You know, one of the things that causes you to droop your head is shame. You don't want people to see. You're afraid of what, the, if they look into your eyes, what will they really see? Mm -hmm. And you droop your head and shake. The Lord takes away your disgrace this morning. You don't have to hang your head in shame. You don't have to hang your head in disgrace. He's the lifter of your head. He removes, and, and that's a word for you. You can just write that down. Luke one twenty five. the Lord takes away my disgrace. I want to wrap up today. I want to read a, and I, I apologize. I don't normally do this. I, re, I read out of the Bible, but, but there's this book called The Tale of Three Kings. If you haven't read this, I would highly, 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 imperatively tell you it's an absolute must read. Get it. You can get it on Amazon and all those places. But it's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. It's a life-changing book. And uh, it's that good. And it's so simple. It's like, a, it's like a young adult, teenage, it's written like a young adult type book. It's so easy to read. <coughs> um, but I want to read this passage um, as Gene Edwards describes Absalom and David and what's happening. It's, it's really quite powerful. So if you can hang with me and just tune in, I think it will minister to you. Abishai, David's armor bearer, has showed up. And he says, dear King Saul, dear King, Saul was a bad king. Absalom is, in some ways, a youthful incarnation of Saul. You alone are constant. You are forever the broken-hearted shepherd boy. Tell me truthfully, what do you plan? Until now, David says, I have not been sure, but of this I am certain. In my youth, I was no Absalom, and in my old age, I shall not be a Saul. In my youth, by your own words, I was David. In my old age, I intend to be David still, even if it costs me a throne, a kingdom, and perhaps my head. Abishai said nothing for a while, then slowly he spoke, making sure he grasped the, the significance of David's decision. You were not an Absalom, and you refused to be a Saul? Sir, if you are not willing to put Absalom down, then I suggest we prepare to evacuate the kingdom, for Absalom will surely take the throne. Only as surely as King Saul killed the shepherd boy, 
replied the wise old king. What? said Abishai. Think on it, Abishai. God once delivered a defenseless shepherd boy from the powerful mad king. He can yet deliver an old ruler from an ambitious young rebel. You underestimate your adversary, retorted Abishai. You underestimate my God, replied David. But why, David, why not fight? I will give you the answer, and you will recall, for you were there, that I once gave this same answer to Joab in a cave long ago. It is better that I be defeated, even killed, than to learn the ways of a, of a Saul or the ways of an Absalom. The kingdom is not that valuable. Let him have it, if that be the Lord's will. I repeat, I shall not learn the ways of either Saul or Absalom. And now, being an old man, I will add a word I might not have known then. Abishai, no man knows his own heart. I certainly do not know mine. Only God does. Shall I defend my little realm in the name of God? Shall I throw spears and plot and divide and kill men's spirits, if not their bodies, to protect my empire? I did not lift a finger to be made king, nor shall I do so to preserve a kingdom, even the kingdom of God. God put me here. It is not my responsibility to take or keep authority. Do you not realize it may be his will for these things to take place? If he chooses, God can protect and keep the kingdom even now. And after all, it is his kingdom. As I said, no man knows his own heart. I do not know mine. Who knows what is really in my heart? Perhaps in God's eyes, I am no longer worthy to rule. Perhaps... He is through with me. Perhaps it is his will for Absalom to rule. I honestly don't know. And if this is his will, I want it. God may be finished with me. Any young rebel who raises his hand against a Saul or any old king who raises his hand against an Absalom may, in truth, be raising his hand against the will of God. In either case, I shall raise no hand. Wouldn't I look a little strange trying to stay in control if God desires that I fall? But you know that Absalom should not be king, replied Abishai. Do I? No man knows. Only God knows, and he has not spoken. I did not fight to be king, and I will not fight to remain king. May God come tonight and take the throne, the kingship, and David's voice faltered. And his anointing from me, I seek his will, not his power. I repeat, I desire his will more than I desire a position of leadership. He may be through with me. King David, a voice came from behind the two men. Yes, what is it, messenger? Absalom, he wishes to see you a moment. He wants to ask permission to go to Hebron to make a sacrifice. David? said Abishai hoarsely. You know what that really means, don't you? Yes, I do. David turned to the messenger. Tell Absalom I will be there in a moment. David looked one last time at the quiet city below, then turned and walked toward the door. Will you let him go to Hebron, Abishai demanded? I will, said the great king. Yes, I will. Then he turned to the messenger. This is a dark hour for me. When I have finished speaking to Absalom, I shall retire. Tomorrow, have one of the prophets come to me for consultation, or a scribe. On second thought, 
Send me Zadok, the high priest. Ask him to join me there after the evening sacrifice. Abishai called out once more, softly this time. Admiration flashed across his face. Good king. Thank you. For what, the puzzled king asked as he turned back in the doorway. Not for what you've done, but for what you've not done. Thank you for not throwing spears, for not rebelling against kings, for not exposing a man in authority when he was so vulnerable, for not dividing a kingdom, for not attacking young Absaloms who look like they're young Davids, and they're not. He paused. And thank you for suffering, for being willing to lose everything. Thank you for giving God a free hand to end and even destroy your kingdom if it pleases him. Thank you for being an example to us all. And most of all, thank you for not consulting witches. <laughs> Why don't you stand with me this morning? In the middle of your trouble, somebody's watching. In the middle of, of the trouble and the trial, the Lord is your shield. He's your glory. He's the lifter of your head. But you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I promise you somebody's watching in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your circumstance. What are they learning? What are they seeing? Are you like David able to leave the palace, leave the city and cast your cares on the Lord because you know because you know that he's your shield he's your glory and he's the lifter of your head thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Lord that we can look to you in the middle of life and all that happens. We don't have to walk in fear or shame. We don't have to carry on in all of the mess of life. But Lord, we can find our security in you. We can find our safety in you. We find our identity in you. We find our purpose in we're unattached from the things of this life, but we hold on for dear life to the fortress. In the name of the Lord, the strong tower. Jesus, I, I pray for my friends today that might be facing uncertain times. Lord, people who are joining us online or maybe others in the building, others who will listen or watch this in the future facing uncertain times. Lord, we can look to you. Lord, help us to put our faith, our trust in you. When the souls rise up against us, when the Absaloms come, a, come to attack and to manipulate and to deceive, Lord Jesus, you're 